So let's get down to the Word of God this morning. Let's get down to the Word. Will you turn with me to Psalm 56? Psalm 56, please. I sort of thought that maybe this today and probably next week too, uh, see how we get on, God willing, we're going to deal with the subject dealing with fear. Dealing with fear. So many people are afraid, not just because of this day we're living in at the moment, not just because of what we'd call the COVID-19 time. Yes, that's part of it, but people are dealing with fear. So let's read Psalm 56 and the first four verses, but keep your Bible open, please. Psalm 56, verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thy most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Let's just bow again another word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you again for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for every remembrance of him and for all that he's done and accomplished for us. And now, Father, we pray as we turn to thine own precious word. We ask you, Father, that you would take your word and inscribe it upon our hearts, that you would imprint it into our minds. And, oh God, that you would, Lord, instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go. Lord, that you'd guide us with your eye through the scripture and through life. And, oh God, by the time that this morning is over, I ask you, Father, that you would encourage your people let them know and let them see, Lord, that you're still on the throne, that you're still in control, that you're still God over all. And Lord, you have not relinquished any of your power, that you are the Almighty. To that end, I give you glory and praise and the honor and we worship you. And Father, we thank you in the mighty and most powerful and wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Dealing with fear so people can be afraid everyone gets afraid of something people get afraid of different things different times in life some people live a life of fear some people live a, a, a way that they're fearful at seasons and thoughts of of different things and we want to look at it this morning of dealing with fear dealing with fear psalm 56 David says in verse 3, What time I am afraid I will trust in thee. Notice here, here he is contemplating fear. What time I am afraid. In other words, I'm going to be afraid. Contemplating it. And what's he going to do? He's going to trust in God. And notice here the contemplation of fear in David's mind is, he's, he's a warrior, he's a champion, he's a king. This man is anointed of God, he's called of God. And yet he says, I know fear will come. So Christians and believers, we are not outside of the realms of fear. We all have fears about something or, or, or something that hasn't happened and might happen. And we'll look more at that as we go along. So David is contemplating fear in verse 3. Then in verse 4, he's challenging fear. Verse 4, in God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. Notice 
I will not fear. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. David's saying, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Notice he's contemplating fear. Now he's challenging fear. I've put my trust in God, so I will not fear. And then we didn't read it, but down to verse 11, we see him conquering fear. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Here he's now found his confidence to conquer his fear because he's drawn close to God. There's our answer. In all of it, he has drawn close to God. So he's conquering fear. And lastly, as in verse 13, he has confidence, no fear. No fear. He says, For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Here he has this confidence, not in himself, but in God. I will walk before you, Lord. You have saved me. I belong to you, and I will walk before you. He isn't conscious of the fear now. He's already says, well, time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. Then he says, I will not fear. And now he's saying, I will walk before you, more conscious of God and his word than the fears that are coming against him or upon him. So fear. We want to look at what fear is and what causes our fears. What causes fears of, of, the, of any man and woman? You know, there's a healthy fear and there's an unhealthy fear. There's a rational fear and an irrational fear. So a healthy or a rational fear is something set in us to keep us alive in the sense where we flee from certain dangers, which is natural and healthy and rational. Let me give you an example. A healthy fear would say, when you go to cross that busy road, stop and look both ways. Stop and look both ways. Why? Because you could walk straight out onto the road, get hit by a car or a bus or whatever. So that's a fear that's instilled in the ocean. Stop, look both ways. That's healthy. That's rational. But an unhealthy and an irrational fear, an unnatural fear, is to say, don't ever cross that road. Don't ever cross that road. And so you're stuck to the one place, you're stuck to the one sidewalk, the one pavement, and you don't ever cross the road. You're afraid. It's within, it's unnatural, it's irrational, and it's unhealthy. So I think we get, that's just a simple illustration for us. Healthy and an unhealthy fear. Here's some facts about fear. First of all, fear lives in the future. What do I mean by that? Fear lives in the future, fearing something. In other words, fearing something that might happen in the future brings you that fear from your future into your present. So fear lives in the future. We're afraid of what might happen. We're afraid of what might happen this week, next weekend. Afraid of what might happen tomorrow. We're afraid of what might happen the next month or down the line. And people are afraid of work, um, jobs, uh, finances, uh, health, security, um, for family, for children, 
you know, for uh, uh, elderly parents, and, uh, and we, we are concerned. But when it comes over to an irrational fear, it tells us never to cross the road rather than look both ways and go in it, go across it. Fear lives in the future. In other words, we are not there yet, but we're afraid of what might happen. And listen, you're not there yet. You don't need to worry about what might happen. Notice here, secondly, fear is an emotion. Fear is an emotion. In other words, fear is an emotion which becomes, when we allow it, irrational. Irrational thinking and irrational mindset, which leads to a heart of fear. It's, a, it's an emotion which can be changed, though. Rational thinking during a time of fear. Notice, rational thinking during a time of fear will bring things into perspective again. So when we're having a rational or an unhealthy fear, bringing things into perspective again is like someone coming alongside of you when you think with a rational fear, I cannot cross that road, I will never cross that road, and so you're stuck. But someone comes and rationally talks with you, rationally tells you what is healthy and what is unhealthy. And when you start to break down the irrational fear, then you can find out that you can cross when you look both ways, as it were. So notice here, fear is an emotion. That emotion gets pent up. That emotion gets twisted. That emotion uh, becomes, goes into a meltdown. And so rational thinking will help bring things into perspective. The Word of God brings rational thinking to us this morning. The Word of God brings us where we don't worry about the future why take ye thought for the morrow, Jesus said. And now rational thinking will bring us back. I will place my trust in you, Lord. What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Thirdly, fear comes to us because we're afraid of loss. Afraid of loss. Health, life, wealth, strength, or respect. And we can go on, afraid of loss of family, of children. Of a, and we all have a, a certain amount of that which would come to us at times. And it, 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 there's a natural aspect to that. But fear really generates when there's a sense on our minds which becomes irrational and we're worried about loss. And fear can come to us because of past experiences which then come into our present tense. And now because of that, fear comes for what might happen in the future and loss in it. There's loss. Notice, past experience. Maybe someone's loved one has passed away. And now you're afraid because what if that happens to your loved one? And look, we're all passed away at some point. But at that day, to live your life in that fear is irrational. To live your life in that fear will put you into slavery and bondage. To live your life in that fear, you will not be able to function with that fear. We can think of something that happened in the past, past experience of a relationship that went wrong, and what if that was to happen again? There's all sorts of past experiences. I had a past experience when I was in a church and I got hurt, and, and listen, I would never ever grace the door of a church again, and so on, and that's, uh, that's uh, your hurt speaking, but like, your past experiences cannot come into your future because your life must live, be lived 
for the future. For the future. So fear can grip us in many ways. That's just a couple of experiences. It's about loss. It's about loss. And fear is also only present. Fear is only present when a desire arises that there's a conflict between what you want and what might or might not happen. So people go into stress, they go into fear, when there's a conflict, I wanted it to be like this, and it didn't happen exactly this way, or I want it to be like this, and it won't happen exactly this way. And so fear comes. What if, and it paralyzes us, it paralyzes our mind, it paralyzes our heart, and it just totally consumes us where we get to the point where we can do nothing. We can't function because of it. We can't see any joy in our life because of it. And so it's, fear comes when we think something should be the way it is and it doesn't turn out that way, or what if it doesn't in the future? Fear, fear, fear. We build our lives around what should be. We build our lives around what should be. And that's what builds the foundation of your fear. It should be like this. It should be like that. And because it doesn't happen the way we think the should be is, fear comes and paralyzes us. And so when a, if you want a storm comes, troubles and trials come, you're not matching up too well because, well, I've already been there. I'm afraid of this happening again. We can't live our lives in past experiences. We learn from past experiences. But you can't allow fear to lead you in your past experiences. Listen, fear is the dark room where negatives are developed. Fear is the dark room where negatives are developed. And so that brings negativity to our heart. It brings negativity to our mind and it brings negativity and we're living in that dark room. It's a dark place. I'm not saying you're evil. It's just a dark mindset. It's a dark place. It's a hard place. It's a difficult place. And that dark room breeds negatives, breeds your negatives. And so if you're feeling negative, maybe you need to say, I'm not staying in that dark room anymore. And get into the light of the word of God. What time I am afraid. Whether it's a past experience. A present thing. Or something in the future. Or an emotion. What time I am afraid. I will trust in thee. It's yielding ourselves to the will of God. And knowing that he is still on the throne. Knowing that he's still in control. Knowing that he still commands the universe. Notice. Fear doesn't change the situation. Your fear, your stress, your anxiety, and your worry does not change your situation. Will you turn with me and keep Psalm 56 marked, please? Will you turn with me to Luke chapter 12? Luke's gospel chapter 12, please. And just let your eye run down with me. To verse 22. Let's read some scriptures. And he said unto the disciples. That is the Lord Jesus said. Therefore I say unto you. 
Take no thought for your life. The word take no thought means don't be anxious for your life. Don't be fearful for your life. Continuous anxious thoughts. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Notice, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for your body, what you shall put on. And even while there's to do with financial loss, job security, no matter what it is that's been coming against you, don't worry about that. Bring it to God and say, I'm trusting you, have a better idea. You're going to bring things into plan and purpose for me. You're going to cause it to happen. You're going to bring me along further, Lord, and you're teaching me something in this that I will benefit from it. Notice, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for your body, what you shall put on. For the life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, neither, which neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feedeth them, how much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not, neither And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Your Father knows what you need. Your Father knows your mindset, your thoughts, and your worries and all. Your Father knows all of it. He knows everything. And notice he, he feeds the ravens, uh, or, 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 he feeds the birds or the fowls of the air. And notice this also. He says, He clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is cast into an oven. I mean, the grass of the field, we would pull grass up and uh, and think nothing of it. I was at a walk just two days ago and walked where we were, was up the country road, and there was a donkey and his head sticking through a fence trying to reach the long grass, and he couldn't get it. And so uh, 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 Ellie and myself with Alison, we pulled the grass out and we're feeding the donkey the grass. You know, we think nothing of that. God clothed that grass, caused that grass to grow. And he says, witches today can be cast into another, in other words, burnt up. He says, how much more will he care for you? How much more will he look after you? How much more will he bless you? He says, put your trust in him and believe him. And he says that he will bring it to pass what is needed to be done. But notice this, verse 25, and which of you, with taking thought, can add to a stature one cubit. If we can put it into our modern language, which one of you could add one inch to his height? One inch to his height. I'm five foot eleven, and recently I got one of these gauges put in my head to see what height it was, and apparently I've shrunk a half an inch. And I was raging because I always wanted to be six foot. And I didn't worry about it because no matter how much I worried, I didn't stress because no matter how much I stress, I could still never be six foot. Can't add one cubit to my stature. So wherever we are in our stress life and our fears, it will not change your situation. It does not and cannot change your situation. 
the greatest motivators in life, two of the greatest motivators in life, one is love. People will go for the love of country, for the love of their children and their family. People will do anything for love. And the other great motivator is fear. Fear will drive a man and fear will drive a woman in the situations and in ways that they never thought they would or end up in. That's the two great motivators of life. They both drive us to polar end extremes, to do things way beyond our normal points. But what does, but what does fear do to us? as a person, a man and a woman. Notice three aspects to fear. First of all, the physical aspects of your fear. The physical. We can have tension and muscular tension. Stress. Fear brings sleeplessness. Fear brings indigestion and stomach bile problems. Fear brings illnesses upon us and headaches and It even causes cardiovascular problems and many, many other things because of fear. And God wants to look after your body. God wants you to be well. And he says, trust in me. Get rid of your fear. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that keeps thee in health, in other words. And so fear is part of that. It causes us all of these illnesses. Second fear, secondly, fear is psychologically, it can damage us. It demoralizes the man and the woman. We feel demoralized with fear. It's debilitating where we can't function. It becomes so prevalent in our lives, we become disorganized. We can't get our minds to, to sort things out right. It distorts reality. Fear distorts reality. It warps your perception of things. And it gives us, listen, a false sense of security and confidence. Because the more we fear and the more we are withdrawn, the more we think we're in control. The more you think you're in control through fear. Fear also brings psychologically fear brings avoidance we avoid people we avoid situations we avoid going out we avoid stepping out stepping forth for God thirdly fear can affect you spiritually your spiritual walk fear questions your relationship with your heavenly father I'm going to say it again. Fear will question your relationship with your heavenly father. For why are you fearing like this if you have a loving father? Your father hasn't changed. Your father still loves you. But we have allowed fear to enter us. Spiritually as well, fear can bring doubts of your salvation. What if I'm not saved then? What if I'm not good enough then? What if I haven't tried hard enough? And fear grips the heart and the mind. Fear can make you feel that rejection in life. Then there's rejection from God. Notice 
you're never, I'm never good enough. I would never have been good enough. I'm not saved because I was good. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm saved by sovereign grace because God is good. And I'm saved and I'm kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And you're saved and kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. In fact, God loves you not because of you, but in spite of you and me too. So God loves us because he put his electing love on us. He chose us and he loves us and his love will not let us go. So notice spiritually we can doubt our salvation and question, we can question God's love for us. We can question his ways, question his provision. Spiritually fear has gripped us. Well, this isn't going to happen. God is not going to do this. God is not maybe able. Yes, you're able, but I'm not sure about this one God. And so fear uh, takes our faith and covers it with doubtings and disputations of who God is and what God can do. Fear questions our ability to live our lives for Christ. Fear takes us and drowns us in the emotion in the emotion that it brings on our hearts. How do we respond to fear? How do we respond to fear? The natural response is that we avoid things, places, and people. And it makes us put up barriers of self-protection where we think we are protecting ourselves. Now listen, Christian, I understand these. This is not a, none of this is condemnation. I'm letting you know that, we, that God knows. Self-preservation, self-protection is a natural inbuilt thing that God has given all of us. Even animals have it when we see an animal being chased by a lion trying to run away. And that's a normal natural fear, but naturally we would do that. But it becomes irrational when we close the door, let no one in. We don't want to answer the phone in case someone speaks to us and we can't face people and we're afraid to go outside. And these fears can come upon men and women. And what it does, it causes us to think that we're in control. And that's a false self-confidence. The scripture says, what time I am afraid, I'll trust in you, Lord. The confidence says, I will walk before God. I will walk with you. You've saved me, and I will walk with you. And that's what the scripture says. Notice, fear also causes us, many people, to narcoticize, to take narcotics, whether those narcotics are alcohol or whether the narcotics are drugs or pharmaceutical overdosing, whatever that may be, we narcoticize ourselves to take us for a moment to ease the fear, the pain, the worry and the anxiety and, and we feel the confidence coming out of us. But again, it's false confidence because it's not true confidence in the Lord. And what it does is by the time it's over and things are uh, our past and it's the next hour or the next day or whatever you've taken the next moment 
Not only how are you feeling ill and you're feeling sick with worry, not only that, but you're feeling worthless because you've maybe stepped out of who you have been trying to keep yourself to be. That, that barrier you put up, and now you feel even more depressed about this. We try to escape and run away. But remember, nothing has changed. Remember that. Nothing has changed. The problem you feared is still the same problem. The only one who's changing is you. I want to say it again. The problem isn't changed. The only one who is changing in this is you. And you change because it grips you further and pulls you deeper. When the tailspin, our mindset swirls, rather than bringing ourselves to the foundation of the Word of God. And as David says in Psalm 56, he says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. So, how does God intend you to respond? To fear. Simple. Fear God. Fear isn't a horrific, horrifying fear like you have, but rather it's a respectful, a reverential fear. Let me give you a couple of examples here this morning. Fear God. If you fear God, it'll be the end of all your fears. I want to say it again. If you fear God, it will be the end of all your fears. Because fearing God is the opposite or the polar end of all other fears. Here's all your fears. Way down here. Here's all your fears. Here's all your stresses, your worries and your anxieties. Here's your fears. And when we fear God, it's here. You're far away from your fears. Let me tell you, as a pastor... If I don't keep myself in check with the word of God and who he is and what he can do, fear grips me for the people. And unless, I'm sure other pastors who maybe hear this will be able to, uh, they'll understand what I mean. Sometimes you're sitting at night and you're concerned about different ones or something is popping its head up and you're trying to, Keep the sheep safe, as it were, uh, and you're trying to push things on, and you, you're tired, and you're weary, and you're weak, and next thing the fear factor comes in, and it starts to spin your mind. And what do I do? I either have to take it to the Lord in prayer and read the Word and believe what He says. Listen, God said it; that settles it. So. What we do is we say, God said it, that settles it, but I don't see how I deal with it. That's not how we deal with fear. That's not how God would have you deal with fear. And what I have to do is either pray and go and read the word or sit and worry, worry, worry about it. And it's not being carefree. And it's not being careless. It's being conscious that your father loves you and that God is still on the throne. So, fearing God is the essence of faith. Fearing God is the essence 
of faith. Let me just take you to a few verses here, first of all. Matthew chapter 8, if you're turning with me or you can listen. Matthew chapter 8. And you can read more of this when you have time yourself. Letter I, run down to verse 26. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful? We were going to drown, Lord. Things were overwhelming me, Lord. But why are you fearful? I told you to go to the other side. Why are you fearful? Notice. Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Why are you fearful? Am I not with you, he says. Why are you fearful? Do I not love you? Why are you fearful? Your faith is little. So, 1 John. You're turning with me. Turn to 1 John, please. Chapter 4. Verses 18 and 19. Herein, 1 John 4, 18 and 19. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Here's the nature of his love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Notice, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. In other words, fear does not exist in the aforementioned love. Fear doesn't exist in the love of your father. But you're telling us to fear God. Yeah, reverential fear. Reverential fear is knowing that he is almighty God. He is the great eternal Spirit, the great I am. He is all of that and everything and so much more. But he loves us. And it means because he loves us, we don't have these fears. Don't have a fear of judgment. We don't have a fear of punishment. But we know he loves us. Fear. There's no fear in the love of God. So if you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And let's, turn, let's let our eye run down, please, to verse 14. Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. The word fear is phobos. Phobos. As in Phobia. You have not received the spirit of bondage again. It's not a spirit of bondage you have in Christ. It's not a spirit of bondage that he has. He has the spirit of liberty and freedom. Notice you have not received the spirit of bondage to fear or to have a phobia. But you have received the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Or the closest word we have to Abba is Daddy. Daddy. Oh, how close it is when you could cry Daddy. 
Many of us miss our, our earthly fathers. Many of us who have had a, a father who, we, who loved us and we love her naturally, uh, we miss saying daddy to them. But your heavenly father is your daddy. And you can cry, Abba, Father, to him. So notice here, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But the spirit of adoption, verse 16, the spirit itself birth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit in you is the one who's brought you to this point, brought you to hear, brought you right now to listen. The Holy Spirit is the one who's had, that, had you thinking, who's give you the interest in the things of God. So here we have the spirit of God is not the spirit of bondage, neither is it the spirit of fear. Second Timothy, please, just... So we run through a few more of these. Mark these down, write them down, read them again. Read the whole chapter, but read them again. Second epistle of Timothy, to Timothy, please. Chapter 1, let your eye run down to verse 6. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. The term here, the gift of God, it gives the idea of a fire burning in you. Come on, whenever this COVID-19 lockdown or lock-up or shut-up or whatever we're in at the minute, uh, this, when this all came to us, oh, how many people, ungodly people, wanted to know the things of God and, and how many Christians who were, who were on fire for God are going, well, we're going to press on in God and we're going to be doing X, Y, Z. And how many others have even come on live and watched and gathered their families around? And how many have allowed the gift, the flame to die? Ah, well, we're sure we're home anyway. And that's where, that, that's where complacency comes in and fear can be bred in that dark room, the negatives of it. Notice here, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Flick on back, please, to the book of Philippians. And Philippians chapter 4. And let your eye run down then to verse 6. Be careful for nothing. In other words, don't habitually worry, Paul tells us. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Can I ask you, friend, it's not a condemnation. Have you taken it to God? Then keep taking it to God. Have you taken it to God? No, then bring it to God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. Notice, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. 
So here we're finding a habitual practice that we shouldn't do and a habitual practice that we should do. Habitual practice is that we're not to worry. Be careful for nothing. It means don't habitually worry. And then the habitual practice we are to do is whatsoever things, lovely, pure, and so on, the whole way down. All of that, he says, keep coming back to that. Keep your mind fixed on that and focused on it. Notice, and I'm closing soon, people in fear lose out on life. I'm going to say it again. People in fear lose out on life. They look for happiness. Happiness. Happy, the word happy, the word hap, by hap. It means to come by chance. And it's dependent on external circumstances. And we can't change those external circumstances all the time. And sometimes we're in the, those, in the middle of this storm and we're saying, Lord, change the storm. And sometimes God is saying, no, child, I'm changing you in the storm. I'm not changing this, I'm changing you. Because it's, that's the place we need to learn. And what do we do? We come into fear. We shut up, close the doors, close ranks, build up the fence, and we withdraw Rather than saying, then, Lord, I'll sail on. I'll sail through the storm. I'll I'll, I'll struggle on even. I'll press on. And we need to do that because God may not change the storm, but he changes you and me in the storm. So sometimes we think we can change all things and we can't. External circumstances, most of the time, are for our learning. And we must be flexible, grounded, ready to bend with the storm where possible. Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse 11. Paul says, Not that I speak in respect of of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound, Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now notice, we always say in in Philippians 4 verse 13, we're always saying it, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But what Paul is saying before that, here's what I have learned. Here's what I've gone through. Here is what has helped me. Now, he says, because I've done it, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. In other words, he says, I have learned in verse 11, and whatsoever state I am with, therewith to be, and therewith to be content. And the idea here is, I have learned. It gives the idea that Paul is saying, I have learned to enter into a new condition. That's the idea in the original text. That whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content, it isn't I'm going to shut the doors and I'm going to hide behind them until, this, uh, until everything changes outside. No, he, that's not what he means by being content. It gives the idea, I have learned to enter into a new condition. I become the master of the situation. 
I become the master of the situation. In other words, it didn't master me, but in Christ's strength, I have mastered the situation. It meant he was independent of his his external circumstances. Then in verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. And the idea here is, he says, it means by experience, I have been low. By experience, I have had little, I've had less. So the idea I know means I know from experience. And brothers and sisters, if we don't experience the valley as well as the mountain, we'll never ever be able to truly know the very riches of grace on the top of the mountain. We'll never appreciate them. Listen, I've had, I don't know, many phone calls, and I miss you all too, and I miss our meetings here, and the Lord is present here when we're meeting, and and the anointing, and and I miss all of it. I miss the worship and the fellowship, and I miss it. But the amount of people that have said, you don't realize what we had until we can't have it. You don't realize what we had. We miss it so much, and I'm the same. I'm exactly the same. But we will not realize who the depths, the, the depths, the love, the grace, and the mercy of our Father, our Heavenly Father, if we're always on a mountaintop. And one of our, uh, one, one, one of our old favorite preachers, Gordon McGee, once said, I, Every day I have a mountaintop experience. Either I'm on top of the mountain, or the mountain is on top of me. And that's the walk with Christ. That's our life with Christ. But then by the time we come through it, we say, I know how to be abased. And now, in the blessing, I know how to abound. And we're with hearts of gratitude. We're so grateful for things. And the blessing that he gives. And we're, we're, we're totally in awe and in wonder at the Lord Jesus Christ. I am instructed, he says, to be both to be full and to be hungry. It means I've learned a secret, how to be hungry and how to be full. And the idea of this is taken from Genesis 41, where Pharaoh had the dream. And one of the dreams was the seven lean cows and the seven fat cows, and the, you know, and the lean at the fat and so on. And he takes that idea, and what it means is he fed up, He fed himself up. I know I feed myself up in the word. I'm always in his presence. I fortify my spirit. I build myself up. And he says, this is the secret to getting through the storm. This is the secret of going and traversing the valley. This is the secret for being able to pass through the seas. This is the secret. He says, I've learned it, that when there's plenty then eat it up. Joseph said to Pharaoh, store your grain up in the barns for seven years. You'll have seven years of plenty because you're going to need it whenever the famine comes. And Paul's using this. He says, I know I feed myself up. Listen, fellowship, church meetings, Bible study, personal study, closet worship and prayer, walking with the Lord, good company, Christian company, godly company. And then when these times of, of our lock up, 
is uh, our lockdown uh, and it is us in our house. It's here we dig deep with it because it's here we get to know our own relationship with Christ. Oh, but what if the world changes this way? Or what if my job isn't there? Or what if the security isn't there? And brothers and sisters, listen, I, I, I do feel for everyone and I hope that all the, and want the best for all and I pray for you. But I can tell you, I've come through it myself when I have had no one with me but my wife and the Lord. I've had none stand beside me and I've, had, I've been ostracized. And God, it's like Paul says, notwithstanding when all men forsook me, the Lord stood with me. And that's who's with you. And that's where you learn it. That's the, inward, the inner lining. That's what sticks to the ribs, as it were, of the spirit man and the spirit woman. So I close with this and thank you for your attention. Paul saying, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. In Psalm 56, Psalm 56, we'll look at it more in the Lord's will next week. It says right at the very top, to the chief musician upon Jonah, Elam, Rachel, Kim, and Mitch, Tom of David, when the Philistines took him in Gath. Jolam, Rachel, Kim means the dove who's flown far away, or the dove in a far country. Speaks of himself. He was afraid of Saul, and he ran to the Philistines to a chish of Gath. And he was afraid of Saul, and it says he was sore afraid of a chish. And now writing this, he says, this was me. I was afraid. And it's a mitchtam. It means a poem to engrave the heart. You know, when you engrave something, you can't wipe it off. And many of you are fearful because there's been a time, a place, and a purpose. There's been an engraving in your heart. A graving through mourning. A grave, an engraving through different aspects of life. An engraving of a hurtful marriage. Of a divorce. An engraving of, of, of a bad relationship or violence or whatever it may be. Even of abuse and all these terrible things. And listen, if it's, if it's a scar, a scar tell us we have been strong enough to come through. If it's an open wound, then it needs healed. Fear, don't let it paralyze you. But what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. May God bless you this morning. I trust the word of God will strengthen you and help you this morning. May you know his presence for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us pray. Father, Take your word and inscribe it into our hearts. May this be a Mitch Tom, an engraving, engraving in all of our hearts and minds, Lord, to always trust and turn to thee, to glorify your own precious name. Lord, when we're trying to deal with fear, would you give us the ability, the wisdom, and the strength? And through your spirit, would you draw us always back to your word, that your word, Lord, would be in our hearts and minds. And Lord, you'd make us more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it for his glory. Amen. Amen, everyone. Now, Lord, richly and abundantly bless you.